I had something completely unrelated that I wanted to talk about. Um, let's do it. Well, let's talk about it. <laughs> so I, so I've just noticed during recent recordings of this podcast, I've referred to 30th Street Station in Philly as 10th Street Station. <laughs> And then during our interview with Groovis, I referred to Gavin's song 90 East as 30 East. So I okay. just want to say, as a rule going forward, if I mention a number, you might just need to multiply that by three, <laughs> and then we'll get to the actual number. Welcome to the So So Cool Podcast, the podcast where we listen to music we liked when we were younger and decide if it's still cool or if it's just so-so. I'm Brandon. And I'm Joe. And I'm Matthew. And today, we are here to talk about Fiona Apple's sophomore second studie, released on November 9th, 1999, colloquially called When the Pawn. It's a 90-word title i'm not gonna say the whole thing <laughs> you can read it on the internet if you want to know the whole thing it it actually i think i saw that it at the time was record-breaking longest title of an album oh really it no longer holds that record but at the time it, it was in the maybe record books when the pawn is 444 characters i believe oh gotcha Wow. 90 words. Okay. That's yeah. a nice uh, 444 repetition. I saw on Wikipedia that Chubbawamba actually, Chumbawamba actually had a, a title that was <laughs> longer. <laughs> Which this is... This <laughs> longest title of a music album is 156 words long by Chumbawamba. Uh, the boy bands have won... And all the copyists and the tribute bands and the TV talent show producers have won. If we allow our culture to be shaped by mimicry, whether from lack of ideas, and it goes on a lot, uh, a lot more after this. I was going to say, do I now need to say the the whole <laughs> when the pun title? I kind yeah. of assumed you would, man. Just say it. Oh, we have like a two-hour right, podcast all right, all right. here. Just say the whole thing. <laughs> all right, all right. Seems all like right. the perfect Hold time on. to do it. <laughs> It has uh, this Chumbawamba one has regurgitate in it, but just but don't just regurgitate creative history or hold art and music and literature as fixed, untouchable. Wow, wow, Chumbawamba. Well, okay, all right. Are you ready? Ready. When the when the pawn hits the conflicts, he thinks like a king. What he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight, and he'll win the whole thing. For he enters the ring, there's nobody to batter when your mind is your might. So when you go solo, hold your own hand and remember that depth is the greatest of heights. And if you know where you stand, then you know where to land. And if you fall, it won't matter because you'll know that you're right. Boom. Frequently a bridge to win the pawn. Ellipses. <laughs> nice. Yeah, which apparently was like a poem written in response to some uh bad bad reactions to a spin magazine cover profile on her which the washington post said was her version of chumbawamba's i get knocked down but i get up again so it's funny that uh full circle baby 
<laughs> this album uh, reached number 13 on the U.S. Billboard 200 and is certified platinum in the U.S. Um, Rolling Stone in 2020 put it on put it at 108 on the top 500 albums all, of all time. Um, did any of you read any reviews for this one? I don't think I did. I, no. I read it. I read a few. Um, I don't have any quotes handy because um, no, nothing really like um, stuck out to me. But maybe when we're listening, you know, we can talk about some of that stuff. But yeah, yeah. I found I found a few, and I thought sort of an interesting um, sub narrative of this podcast. I found the this is the only album I've ever found this for the original Pitchfork review and the retrospective, which is interesting yeah. because they say on the sort of subheading, they say they each Sunday they do an in-depth look at a significant album from the past. Any record not in our archives is eligible, but they do mm. have a review in their archives and it's yeah, and it's on their website. Like usually they they sort of retcon these, but they have both up. Kind of interesting. Yeah. I found both Pitchfork reviews really lackluster. Um I don't know, for me they get in 99 they gave uh they gave it an 8 and in their retrospective they gave it a 9.4. Um I don't know. If you give the Blue album a 10, and then you just call this album a 9.4. I don't know. I don't really understand Pitchfork. <laughs> yeah. I feel like trying to take off points to just be snarky or something. I don't know. Like, um, yeah, yeah. Nostalgia aside, this is clearly a better album, I'd say, than than the Blue Album. Yeah. It looks like NME gave it 5 out of 10. Boo. Yeah, I think that's low. At the time, um, it it looked like all it looks like you know basically all of Fiona Apple's albums seem to be viewed positively now. Um, if you just look at like critical, you know, the general like critical reception of her albums, but this one it seems like there was kind of like a mixed reception when it came out. I mean, from what I was what. I saw it was mostly well received. I well, at least well received in uh respect to like comparing to her debut title. I think a lot of people even if they weren't necessarily um you know head over heels for when the pawn saw it as like a maturing like becoming a like a you know solidifying their status as an artist and writing like a a really good album. I think that was generally the perception that I saw across most of the reviews is like this is a big a big change and uh step up in the in the artistry. Um it's notable that all songs are credited to Fiona Apple on she gets 100% writing credit on all of these. Um it was produced by John Bryan which in hindsight to me um like at the time listening to it I didn't know much about John Bryan, but I remember hearing this album being like, wow, this has such an iconic sound. And now in hindsight, it sounds very much like a giant John Bryan production. Like yeah. it just sounds like mm -hmm. if you heard this now, you'd be like, oh, John Bryan must have produced that. Um, but at the yeah. time, 
it was it was so novel to me um and he appeared on her previous album but i don't think he was a producer i think he just he was just a studio musician i think this is the only one that he produced of hers because there's the kind of famous well relatively well-known story with extraordinary machine where he produced it basically and then started it yeah yeah and then the john bryan versions got leaked some of them yeah yeah apparently well this this album had three singles fast as you can limp and paper bag overall it was uh the whole album was nominated for a grammy for best alternative album and paper bag got nominated for a grammy for best female rock vocal performance but did not win just nomination the one thing that i found really interesting about this record was just like digging into the lineup of the the personnel on it some really i mean overall listening to it, i was like holy crap the talent on the on the instruments is just incredible but um greg cohen is on bass who is uh the bassist in john zorn's masada quartet jim keltner on drums who is just a huge prolific session drummer he worked with i think george harrison and Ringo and the Plastic Ono Band and Bob Dylan. He's come up. He's come up on the podcast before, right? Jim Keltner. He has, and I don't remember why, but yeah. Was it was it Blackalicious? Oh, I think maybe was one he of the sampled samples. on Blackalicious. Yeah. Oh, that could be. I yeah, think yeah, um, yeah. Chemical Calisthenics. Maybe he did like a oh, drumming nice. uh he was he did like that a drumming right. instructional thing or whatever and that's what they used as the sample nice yeah yeah so how did you guys get into this album i um got into it basically the last couple weeks since when we talked about uh listening to it which is interesting because i i am a Fiona Apple fan, but I never listened to this album. I think it was never. No, I think I've heard the singles, but it's like I got into Fiona Apple with Extraordinary Machine. I mm. think that I knew of title for because it was so huge. And then I didn't listen to this or I didn't actively listen to title or this. I think because of the age that I was when it came out, um, I wasn't as, as sophisticated as of a fourteen-year-old, um, <laughs> and um, and then when Extraordinary Machine came out, and I listened to that a lot, and I really liked it. And then I think I maybe bought a copy of Title, or maybe I downloaded it, but I listened to that a lot. I liked Extraordinary Machine better, like you kind of alluded to. She definitely like matures throughout her albums and title she was like 17 when she wrote some of those songs i think she was 18 when it came out so she was really young anyway point being i've listened to i've like skipped a fiona apple album in her discography so i know title pretty well i don't know this one very well i know extraordinary machine really well i missed idler wheel completely um, if that's is that right is that what it's called and then fetch the bolt cutters you know like came out in that beginning of lockdown 
or early in yeah. lockdown. And I listened to that like a bunch of times, like in the spring and summer of 2020. Um, so yeah, I, I have, I've, I've like alternated Fiona Apple albums. So I didn't listen to this one at all. I was listening to it this week and Laura was like, Oh yeah, I love this album. She listened to it a ton when it came out and I was like, yeah, I don't think I've ever listened to this and it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it is really good. I wouldn't, I never really got into Fiona Apple. Uh, I remember when a couple of us in the band started talking about Fiona Apple, maybe around like college age. And I just never, never uh, made the, made the decision to, to check it out any further. I remember the criminal video being on TV uh, back in like 97 or whatever, whenever title came out. So that's kind of the only real memory of Fiona Apple I kind of have is uh, that song, Criminal. Um, but when I when you uh, picked this album and I listened to it immediately, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's like so good. And it's it's definitely the album we've done on the podcast that I haven't been that familiar with going into it that I've liked the most um, and like added it to my library and was like this is great yeah 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 and and i will say it it also reminds me of a bunch of other artists that i feel like overlap or at at least maybe were influenced by her that i did listen to uh amy mann i feel like there's a lot of overlap with her and amy mann and even john bryan um i remember i was really into the magnolia soundtrack which was all like Amy Mann and John Bryan uh, back right around this time, uh, early, There's early like 2000s. There's like a circle there with like John Bryan yeah. and Amy, like John Bryan's produced Amy Mann stuff and yeah. a lot of connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then an artist called, an artist named Rachel Yamagata and Sarah Bareilles and even Amanda Palmer, like just a bunch of these female artists that I, listened to and have enjoyed but feel feel like some sort of a kinship or at least uh were probably um inspired i know sarah Bareilles has said that she was uh that's one of her major influences was fiona apple but uh yeah never really went and listened to fiona apple other than i uh, i know that gavin castleton who we recently had on the podcast has done a few covers of her or like inspired uh by covers of her kind of things too that's fascinating i i guess i just assumed that the two of you had heard this album before because it was such a staple for me but now that i listened to it and i wrote down why i think i loved it as a teenager is I mean, if this album is just like I'm, I was a percussionist, and this album just feels like a percussionist dream. It's like it's just <laughs> full of really cool percussion arrangement. There's vibraphone. There's like um, dueling drums. There's all kinds of auxiliary instruments. And I just remember hearing it and being like, "Holy crap! This is like a drummer's um, a drummer's dream album." Uh, in terms of the arrangements and stuff. So for me, I just, that's probably why I got so into it is I just, I fell in love with the production and the 
the sound quality. And and at the time, I think this was around the same time that like my brother had given me a Velvet Underground tape. So I was like listening to Nico, the Velvet Underground. Um, my other brother had len- lent me a Leonard Cohen record. And so I was kind of interested at the time in like, I, I don't know if folks sort of the wrong word, but just artists that were doing interesting kinds of arrangements that weren't bands. Uh, and so I think this kind of just fell on that bucket of like Nick Drake, Leonard Cohen stuff for me that was like interesting arrangements. And then the the drumming side of it, just I've just fell in love with all the drumming on this record. And I think it kind of felt like the beginning, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff in this that um, reminds me of records that I got into later, um, like some of the production value on Wilco's records, the Flaming Lips, St. Vincent, that kind of stuff. Just, mm-hmm. I think for me that this was just a gateway into that kind of thing. It is interesting, this album, I don't know if you all think of it this way, but like the late 90s and like early 2000s really had a big moment with piano pop. Um, Like Alicia Keys was recording songs in A minor around 99, Mm -hmm. then folds whatever and ever Amen had just come out the year before. Regina Spector released Soviet Kitsch a couple years later. Nora Jones' big stuff came out a few years later. Oh, right, right, right. and to me, this kind of feels like it was sort of the beginnings of um, the sort of pop piano stuff. John Legend later on. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, that's that's why two of those people I mentioned, Rachel Yamagata and Sarah Bareilles, feel a little bit more pop-centric than Fiona Apple, even though Fiona seems very pop. It's just maybe just more edgy or raw or, or something. But yeah, it's a it's a sound that isn't like, it feels like a sound that has been uh, done a lot. And I really like it most most times. I love piano pop, typically. Yeah, it's sort of hard to tease this record in particular and maybe Extraordinary Machine 2 because of John Bryan's involvement and, and like how how much she was involved in stuff in the early 2000s. Um, but it does feel like this album is just an iconic sound. I actually never, I got really into um, Extraordinary Machine, but I don't think I listened to either of the later two records at all. But this one was huge for me. I was surprised how few albums she has, considering she was, you know, a uh, charting artist back in the mid 90s or late, late 90s. She she takes a lot of time off. Yeah. Between albums, yeah. yeah. And it almost seems, and I don't know a lot about what I'm talking about here, but she also seems like one of those artists from what I've heard her say in interviews this week, that she doesn't write tons and tons of songs. Like she wrote 10 songs for this album and she gave them to John Brown. Like she sat them down and played them for him. And I, I kind of like that. When I... There are certain artists that I've liked over the years who are like, oh, my God, we wrote 50 songs for this and just whittling it down to I'm always like, what? As a songwriter, I do not get that. I'm like, I don't understand writing that many songs. So when I hear somebody who's like, they're just going to write a a handful of songs and make them really good and space them out over many, many years. I'm like, okay, I respect that. (laughs) Uh, I don't I don't. uh, 
I don't fault her for that at all. That's cool. She's no Rivers Cuomo. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's it's just different creative styles. There, there are some people who are just extremely generative. Like I remember hearing an interview with Moby probably around this time, actually, like after Play came out where he was working on the follow-up and he was like had written, I don't know, like hundreds of songs and yeah. then was trying to figure out like which ones to put on. Um, and then, you know, there are people that spend more time crafting and perfecting individual pieces. And yeah, both are interesting for different reasons. Also, I saw that she um, tends to write lyrics first, which I also take notice of as like, oh, wow, uh, that's that's interesting. I was going to say, and I, I don't I don't know if we need to keep it, but when you asked about the pitchfork and or the, the album reviews, I thought that I noticed this one funny thing in the um, Pitchfork review, the original one, where it says, but now Fiona seems older. Her voice is full of a heartfelt soul that seems almost timeless. While Billie Holiday would never have considered the possibility of lines like, it won't be long till you'll be lying limp in your own hand. And this has been a through line. And and I'm writing. I know. And I'm like, I feel like there should be a law that's like, okay, if somebody, <laughs> if you have a, a female singer, you're not allowed to use the name Billie Holiday. You're just not. We've done three albums with women singing this season. Like in a and, row. Yeah, in a row. And um, and the first one, I it makes sense why somebody would bring that up in a review. And then... The second two, the second one, it was like, I don't really see it. That seems like a stretch. And then this one, it's just like, why? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. People, it's weird that people are professionals that do this and they make, but I don't know, maybe in 99, Pitchfork was a little bit more amateurish, but it was and bad. Sexist? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. It does seem like, you know, it does seem like something that a I don't lazy might not be the word, maybe inexperienced or, uh, you know, a, as a critic, if you're trying to bring context, it seems like one of those easy touchstones. We've already said this, but it just seems like it's probably one of those like, well, if I mention Billie Holiday, that gives me a couple sentences to talk about that and then makes me seem informed <laughs> but it would be like anybody who's putting out a record that has guitar on it is like oh george harrison like it just like yeah. <laughs> like yeah. what or yeah. like i don't it just doesn't make any sense check out uh jimmy hendrix over here <laughs> nice yeah oh. i thought that was worth pointing out just just for the the thematic consistency Although there is a moment I did write down George Harrison lick. Oh, let's let's see where that is because I I had a note, um, on here that I think was like Beatlesy sounding guitar. Mm. So we'll 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 cross yeah. cross reference when we get there. So 1999, I I. You know, we've been talking about whether or not this context setting is even useful, but I felt like for this one, it was just interesting because, so this is the year that Baby One More Time came out by Britney Spears. 
and Millennium by Backstreet Boys. So these sort of like two iconic pop records of the time. At the same time, this was the year that Santana's Supernatural came out. Fly by uh, the Chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks. Battle for Los Angeles by Rage. Ricky Martin's Ricky Martin. Uh, Issues by Korn. I Am by Nas. Breathe by Faith Hill. So really like the top albums of the year was such a like, I guess like you mentioned this in an earlier one. I don't know if it was the same episode, but this sort of was the maybe the last big year of uh, monoculture in the sense that like the top 10 things were sort of a smattering of different tastes. Uh, I just thought that was interesting, especially like in the context of of this, the sound of this album, which kind of just doesn't really fit into that mix, yeah. but still was chart topping. And, and there's so much, so much Y2K dread on this album. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can just Quite. hear the, the dread in her voice about Y2K. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's just pervades the thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, fast as you can is is all about you know. Yeah. All about Better it. live it up fast as you can yep. because everything's before. gonna come crashing to a halt. <laughs> yeah, before it gets gone. Magnolia came out this year, right? Which is uh, a yeah. movie movie wise. Did it? Which, which is just you know. Nineteen ninety nine. Drawn yes. connections. Yes, did. Um, with the yeah. John Bryan thing. So this was the. Was this the beginning of John Bryan's big film? Um, like when he he, ca- he was in, he did the score for a lot did of films. Punch Drunk Love come out yeah. before or after this? Because he did that one too. After 2002, I think. That was definitely after. Okay. Same filmmaker. Right. That's a P.T. Anderson movie. I didn't know that John Bryan did Punch Drunk Love and the music in Punch Drunk Love floored me. Like the the sound yeah. of that at the time, uh, I, or I could go off on a tangent. You can see in my eyes that I'm so excited that you brought this up. <laughs> yeah, at the time, yeah, yeah. I, I went that. out and like yeah. bought that movie the next day after I saw it because I was like, "This is incredible." And and just yeah. just just to talk about it a little bit since I brought it up, <clears throat> that movie portrayed through sound the feeling of um mental illness or like depression and and I felt like that's what it was that it was like it's it was creating this feeling through sound that I related to so hard of like wow they're like capturing through music a feeling of what it's like to have depression um and that just knocked me out I I couldn't believe it uh, this in 1999 also from dusk till dawn two and three <laughs> came out. Yeah, that's that's prolific. Oh yeah, yeah. I did, the movie side. I don't know. A lot of the things that were popular in '99 were kind of. I mean, Austin Powers, Spy Who Shagged Me, classic. Um, Matrix, Toy Story two. If I can. If I can take a little tangent just to say uh, Magnolia and John Bryan and stuff around this time, but also there was a ton of soundtracks that I remember 
first becoming aware of a bunch of people. Thomas Newman did American Beauty, I think, this year. Yeah. And Rachel Portman did Cider House Rules this year. And Hans Zimmer did Gladiator the next year. Um, a lot of really important uh, 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 composers that, that were doing really, really cool film soundtracks in that time. Another connection is that P.T. Anderson directed the music videos for this album. That's a good... Should we just jump into listening? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So here's the first track. Um, first track of 10. On the Bound. Drum sound is just I mean, from the like that weird backwards sounding drum to then just like this huge backbeat. Yeah. Yeah. With the the like low end of the piano and the bass drum, uh-huh. snare drum. Oh, just so cool. So good. I was just going to say that intro sample thing, the backwards, whatever. Um, when it when I first started listening to it, it kind of like the beat comes in and it's sort of an unexpected point. I feel like in that sample. So I was like, Whoa, Mm -hmm. like it was, it was kind of like disorienting a little bit. And I was like, is this in like a weird meter? And then I'm like, immediately it was like, okay, no, this is, it just kind of like in a good way. I was, I found it a little bit disorienting. Yeah. Especially because it's the little sample only lasts like a few seconds. Mm -hmm. So it does. Yeah. Like the first time you hear it, it's like, wait, what was that? Like, was that, part of the record it does catch you off guard but this like to me it just sets the stage of the whole sonic quality of the record and especially just from a tempo perspective they're always on the back side of the beat and i just i always find that i mean it's just such a tricky thing to do and so it just speaks to all their like levels of musicianship to be able to play with the the tempo and to sort of like stretch out the beat so you sort of you're on the back side of it it's really really cool makes it feel very laid back but still within you know in the pocket yeah this whole thing has a very just a a really great groove to it yeah this one does feel like the magnolia soundtrack when it comes in to me (laughs) it's like oh it this sounds familiar but I think it's kind of like that 
That sound mm-hmm. does feel very John Bryan-ish. Wah, but, wah, uh, wah, yeah. Wah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, a lot of the a lot of the horn arrangement and the sort of distorted organs and the Chamberlain are all very John Bryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so cool. The layers of all the interesting things. It just oh, it's so good. Any notable moments? I have one at three fifteen to the outro. I have a few. I have three twenty six. Um so yeah, I, I had 320, so we could start at 315. I also had 230, like a an I, an organ part or something. Do you have to go to the dentist? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um. Dentist kid jokes. <laughs> like that part oh yeah that organ that is really cool this comes back later that's one of the things that i had put at the end yeah yeah that uh, so cool love i think it's that like some of the tonality there and like the sound of the like the production or something is um something that i thought overall in the album it's like she's really good at using like sort of music that's based in pop songwriting and she's like very catchy distinct melodies but there's also like a little bit of like dissonance and there's always like a rawness in her voice and unexpected kind of sounds that make it really cool and not just sound feel like a you know like an a pop kind of record yeah she's really good at finding space for there to be little moments of other things to come in. Actually, the spot later on, and we can listen, we can jump there now. But I noted, I noted that there's like little things too. Like you can hear the pedals, like the sustain pedal on the piano, like squeaking, because they like just the way that it's recorded and the way that they give space and create silence. There's a couple other tracks where I just think she does it really, really well. Like abruptly ending something and so then you just have this like negative space that's kind of filled up with either other sounds or even sometimes just silence yeah i think that's the 320 part that i had kind of yeah. on that maybe some fate would do me good maybe some fate would do me good oh that bass maybe some faith would do me good and there's like hits on the piano Oh, that horn arrangement is so good. I mean, like, just everything about all of the musicians at that moment, from, like, Fiona to the drums to the whoever's playing guitar to the horns, it's just so masterfully done. Love it. Yeah, that is a awesome opener. Yeah. 
I I noted this too. Like, this is a pretty long interlude before it comes back in. Throughout this album, there are a lot of like just musical space for them to play, either in like extending the outros of songs, like doing little codas or just like little spaces in between like this moment. I think they just do that really well to give space for interesting things to happen. But, you know, a lot of pop records, I think, would do that pretty poorly. I think we talked about that on the Mars Volta record, like interstitials of music that just kind of don't work or aren't that interesting and go on for far too long. I think in on this record, there are a lot of moments where they stretch they stretch out an outro or stretch out um, the space between a verse, but it's just done so well. Yeah, those are some of my favorite moments on this record. Last time when we did Portishead, that would tend to be when I would tune out. But uh, on this one, yeah. I feel like it's like some of my favorite parts. Another general comment on Fiona Apple that we could probably point out specific points here is like there's definitely like a hip-hop influence in the way she plays and sings and obviously the groove we talked about is so good on this which i think kind of helps yeah it's just like you want to listen to it those extended pieces because it's just in the pocket and it sounds awesome to your love yeah to your love that bass the bass the bass drum that like floppy head yeah i thought it was a timpani at first yeah i think they're making it sound like that i actually don't know what it is i don't think it's the i don't think it's the bass drum of the of the drum kit because the bass drum still has too much of a punch. It's definitely a layered on top, and I don't know if it's like... Yeah, I, I wrote like the bass drum or timpani is a really like interesting addition. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know how they do it. I... It's possible it's like, um, because later on, and I have a moment, it sounds like roto-toms to me. Mm. It's like a the drum that you can spin to tighten or loosen. And so I was sort of assuming that it might be a roto-tom, like a really low roto-tom that's just detuned all the way. So it just sounds like you're hitting kind of paper. Because mm-hmm. I think there's roto-toms later on, but I don't, I'm not exactly sure if they are. Yeah, it's like a subtle thing that is a really nice addition. I love the style of this one. Uh, I don't even know what to classify it. Is like, is it like the shuffling of it, or like, I, I, I don't even know what to necessarily call it, but I love it. It's almost like a march, right? Like, like that, that, that. Yeah, it has a little bit of like a marching quality to it, which interesting, like to your love. Um, just tying in with the, the lyrics, like having something that feels like a march. It's interesting, sonically. 
yeah, this is just a good example. Like, I feel like they do this throughout, uh, and I'll geek out on the percussion stuff, but like, there's vibraphone in this, and like, whatever it is that they're doing with the that sort of raggedy sound that's uh, playing with the bass drum. They do so many cool things here. I had the I had the bridge at one fifty. Yeah, I did as me well. Too. The old hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> This is the this Roto Tom. Oh, right, right, right. That turnaround into the mm-hmm. first part, too, is like really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the way she sings that, too, is so, so cool. Yeah. She's like singing like gravelly, like that raw gravelly voice, and then going into like the head voice. Yeah, she like flips it around like it's like she's yodeling, yeah. like it's really controlled. Good shit. <laughs> and is that like <laughs> that sound that comes back in? That's the Chamberlain, right? The sort of like Mellotron. I'm not sure, but it seems like a a potential. Is that the toy piano? <laughs> Yes. Everclear callback. <laughs> so good. We, I love that we get, tune. We got to do more callbacks. Yeah. 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 The mood of a lot of her music and the way she sings, it's very vituperative. <laughs> Is that a Matt term? <laughs> it's not a Matt term, I don't think. I heard that. I actually don't even know. What I that heard that means. word what used on Rachel mean? Maddow. Uh, this is that like <laughs> is that like a, like a bitter? Yeah, bitter and maybe abusive. Uh, yeah, oh. I, I mean, I heard that word used on Rachel Maddow this week, and I was like, I don't know that word. That's super cool. I need to look it up. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I didn't know what it meant, but when you said vituberous in regards to singing, I was like, does that have something to do with like vocal cords doing something? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, vituperative. I might not have said it. I thought you said by tube, tube. Yeah, vituperative, like cooperative. Nice. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> wow, there's your word of the day. It was so funny when Matt said glissando, and Brendan was like, <laughs> "Glissando." Some of those Matt terms. Do, do, do people that? I mean, I guess like yeah, musical terms. I just. Assumed, but the fact that Brendan called it a bad term was like <laughs> we're breaking through with somebody. Oh, I think yeah. glissando is probably oh. less technical than some of other terms you've used. As a trombonist, uh, glissando is a pretty uh, standard <laughs> word. Gliss, if you will, that came up in high yeah. school band way more often than like ostinato. Austin, yeah. But yeah, I guess so. They're all great. <laughs> That's the value add that we bring. <laughs> is Matt and your terms annoying? <laughs> annoying, pretentious terms. Uh, the the yeah. listeners can be uh, guaranteed that if I hear weird, uh, if I hear weird words I've never heard on MSNBC, I'm definitely bringing them to the pot. <laughs> it's right? a please do. It's about it's about learning. That's what we're here for. That's right. Shall we limp?
to the next one. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will say these for like the first two tracks. So cool. Hitting Horde. Coming out swinging. I wonder what that squishy beat is. Yeah. It's cool. You want to make me sick. You want to lick my wounds, don't you, baby? You want the badge of honor when you save my hide. But you're the word in the way of the day of I wrote, I love the way the drums come in there. Yeah. It's unexpected. When I think of it, my fingers turn to face. I never did anything to you, man. No matter what I try, you beat me with your bitter lies. So call me crazy, hold me down, make me cry. Get off now, baby. I love how she enunciates don't yeah. you baby in the beginning. And I think like the mm-hmm. vocals are pretty close, like recorded, like close They're in. Like, yeah. Yeah. Really, really closely mic'd. And it's cool because like the first two songs kind of hit you out the gate with the groove. And then this one, the very opening, you get just kind of this nice change of pace where it's just vocals and this sort of like squishy whatever that sound is that's going on and then the drums come in and you can hear the tonal shift in her voice too like it starts really close mic'd and like you hear all this nuance and it's sung like really softly and then just the first drum comes in like the first drum beat drops and you can hear her shift the tonal quality and then it comes in like the full band comes in and then it shifts even more it's just like it's almost like you're like tightening like a rent like a socket or something it just kind of like you get these like tighter and tighter spins on the music it's just really cool it starts loose and then just gets really really tight i use tools all the time tools (laughs) i had the brandon the tool time taylor (laughs) but yeah again this one like i mean even that moment like where we kind of just fainted it faded it out there's that like moment where there's vibraphone and then there's like silence and then you hear this like chime getting ding like hit in the background it's just again as a percussion geek it's just like so many cool instruments like it's like one of those things like i remember being like i hated band and orchestra because i didn't like i never liked the music that we played but the thing that i loved about it was like you just got access to all the cool toys like all the different symbols and the drums and um timpani and stuff and i love tinkering with it and so like hearing like i think like for me that's probably why in high school this was so important is just to me was just like hearing all those things that like i kind of just associated with boring stuff and then like Mm. hearing it done in such a cool way and like how you can layer it in into pop music was like oh that's really cool so I never did anything with you, man. But no matter what I 
try you be mean with your bitter lies So call me crazy, hold me down, make me cry Get off now, baby It won't be long till you be lying Living your own hands And that vibraphone that's just hitting the one note Just yeah So cool. I mean that that could stand yeah. some vibra slap in there. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm just gonna be a broken record on it, but like as a drummer listening to this uh, listen to this album and this song like it's just so cool like getting to hear not only not only like a drum solo kind of thing but like a drum section like it's the the vibraphone and the and the two drums and the and the auxiliary percussion in the back it's just there's like a someone's playing like a kind of muted gong like just striking it the metal you can hear like it just layered in it's just so much cool stuff just like you don't get to hear that a lot on pop records I I do think it's worth mentioning that last week uh, we had the song Biscuit, and this week we have Limp. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, so I think what we, we're our foreshadowing here is just ramping up to something for next week. Limp Biscuit. <laughs> it's your pick next week, Kiz. Yeah. Get ready. Fred Dirts. <laughs> Love Ridden. So that's coming next week. We don't we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. It's a great transition. It's a nice change of pace. Biscuit. Yeah. It's also it's just a good change of pace for four four tracks in to a ten track album and with the, focus the first three have quite a groove. Yeah, there's a good good sequencing on this album. Yeah. some singing yeah it's a beautiful song i love that one i just love like first of all it sounds like it could be the coda for limp like it sounds like i don't know if it's exactly in the same key but the way limp kind of ends i always thought this was like still the same song and i like oh yeah this is actually a new song they'd like just the transition between the two has always on listening felt quite seamless and it just feels like you come out of such a like you know these two drums doing this like really cool syncopated stuff and then like boom you get this like massive amount of space and these like beautiful but very simple 
um, string arrangements on top. Super cool. Yeah, I like the strings. It, it fills out the song really well. Yeah. You mentioned the sequencing. Hey. I feel like I don't know that I would have I have any complaints, at least so far, about the sequencing. I feel like this just feels like right at the moment you need it. Yeah. Like a little bit of fresh, fresh air. Definitely. I had uh 125. I think there's a little bit of like it gets a bit it gets a little bigger. I wanted to listen to that. My hand wanna hold you down no more. The path is clear to follow through. I stood too long in the way of the door. And now up. Cool. There's um, very nice a chord in the verse or in the beginning of the song in there that I feel like is kind of like bluesy. And when I listened to this, I was like, oh, that's like a Fiona Apple chord. Like it felt like this gives it mm-hmm. like a unique character that maybe if you started out with this song and you were following it through, you might not intuitively put in there, but it, it makes it really interesting. I don't know what chord it is. I'm not that good of, I don't have that good of an ear, but like, I just kind of yeah. noticed it like, oh, okay, that's a little unexpected and I like it. Yeah, I noticed that in a lot of the songs, uh, like, ooh, interesting chord choice after after the last chord or something. That's something I've, I really appreciate about it overall too. Yeah, she has like uh, a pretty distinct sound. That's a through line in all in all the tracks. I also just love the production, like the way that, like on the bound, for example, it feels like it's um, just the miking technique on the piano gets a much this like really bright kind of close. You hear the percussive nature of the the piano really clearly, and then on this one, it's just a little bit fuller. Like it's a like they were doing a lot. Like I don't know if you know. I'm not. I'm not an engineer, um, but just like if they like were getting more of a room sound, like it sounds like the piano is kind of a little bit more distant on this one. Like it just sits kind of in this um, kind of dreamy space that feels nice given the strings and the vocal quality. Paper bag. I was staring at the sky Just looking for a star To pray on or wish on Or something like that I was having a sweet fix Of a daydream of a boy Like the syncopation the reality I knew Was a hopeless to be had But then the dove of hope Began its downward slope And I believed for a moment That my chances were Approaching to be grail, but as it that came down it, so did tear. I thought it was a bird, but it was just a paper bag. Hunger hurts, and I want them so bad. Oh, kills, cause I know I'm a messy, don't wanna clean up 
I like this one a lot. Yeah. I really like this one. It's a, it has a I don't know if it's because the John Bryan influence of film later, but this one just sounds like I don't know, in my head like um like Garden State vibes. Maybe it's just sort of that like the brushed drums or something. But yeah, this the way she sings it is super cool. I I don't know if it's because I've heard this song so many times. This listen, I really like this song. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a really, really good song. I think like the horn arrangement on it is particularly really cool. Mm-hmm. But it's not my favorite. And it might be just because I've listened to it a lot. So, Yeah, I like this one a lot. I think it's like of the, I really like the ones that are like those groovy in the pocket songs, but like of the ones that are not that, I, I really like this. This might be one of my favorites. And I love the way that she, the un, unintuitive way that she sings things. Like she's one of few singers where I'm, I'm really into the rith- the rhythmic quality of her singing almost as much as like the melodic quality which I think is really cool. Yeah. I don't know if I noticed this before, but I'm almost picking up Is it is it almost like a cabaret vibe it, or something in this one that like, I was going to say Billy Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, definitely Billy Holiday. Uh I think it's worth noting Billy Holiday didn't do a song that sounds like this. Uh, <laughs> no, there was something about this one that kind of reminded me of Amanda Palmer. Do you guys know Amanda Palmer? Dresden Dolls? No. Um, oh. I know the Dresden Dolls, but I don't know. I feel like Joe would hate it. Uh, well, I said <laughs> but it has theatrical. Like, it was a note I made, yeah. but cabaret makes sense, too. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of cabaret-ish kind of thing. A, uh, a woman pianist singer doing that kind of theatrical thing. That's why it reminds me of Amanda Palmer. You know, as another, like, um, a woman singer, um, Billie Holiday? I don't know if you've... <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good poll. That's a good poll. Um, so insightful. Was this around... Was this around the time... When did, like, Rufus Wainwright and sort of the cabaret kind of style of stuff... There was, like, a moment in the early 2000s, right, where, like, that stuff had a bit of a moment i would say early 2000s is when i heard of him for the first time but i think yeah didn't john bryan do rufus wainwright albums as well i feel like this is all that th- there's a lot of intermingling and stuff of Overlap. these artists i'm pretty sure billy holiday was on that too <laughs> can we listen to the horn horn part yeah. Yeah, I guess I love that horn arrangement so yeah. much. 
Um, it's so cool. I, it reminds me, I can't place the exact tune, um, but it just reminds me of like a Leonard Cohen song. I can't remember which one, but just sort of these like really soft horns. Yeah. Um, Cause they're not like, they're not really, they're not really up in the mix and they're all kind of like, they're mic'd in a way where they're, they're pretty soft. They, they're, the quality is really warm. So, yeah, this may be my own lack of knowledge, but it reminded me of like a Burt Bacharach kind of like seventies yeah. poppy mm -hmm. type yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and I saw talking, dragging uh, music critics. I saw somebody, maybe it was in the Pitchfork one too, where they talked about the song and they referred to it as like Beatles like. Yeah, I could see somebody yeah. saying that. Um, I definitely heard like more 70s that like super poppy, yeah, carpentersy type 70s kind of thing. I like that tune. It's got an interesting video, a PT Anderson directed video where she's dancing with like um all of these boys in suits, like preteen boys. <laughs> but it is it does um I don't know if it's a an an inception thing or whatever, like I I don't know if I thought of this before I saw the video or not, but it definitely reinforces the theatrical quality of it because it's the video is like like a musical number or something oh yeah. that's cool i didn't see this video i should go back and watch it later interesting <laughs> uh no just one last bit on the paper i don't get the um i don't hear the sort of musical cabaret side of it i hear mo more of the 70s bit but I, but when you said it i could i can I can hear it now, but it, it never occurred to me in listening to it initially. And I don't know that I would have heard it as much if I didn't think Amanda Palmer first and then be like, why does this remind me of her? Oh, I see. And yeah. that might have been the link that made me like, well, she, sing she sings more like theatrical type stuff. So maybe that's it. Gotcha. All right. So... I'm going to wager that, Joe, this is the tune you thought sounded like a Beatles thing. A mistake. Yeah. yeah. Not this part, obviously. Yeah, the guitar sound. I think that like vocal sequence there like that we just heard is really interesting because it feels like it's going to resolve like to my ear like two or three times and it doesn't like she keeps going with it. Yeah. 
It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. I just, it's such a, like, such a head bobbing tune. It's like where, I don't know, so cool how they lay on the backside of the beat. And, um, and with that, like, I don't know if it's the Chamberlain or an organ or something that's kind of like got some sort of wah effect that's just like this constant undercurrent under the whole thing, just like really soft. And then, yeah, like on top of that, her singing affect is just really, that's really neat. I feel like that's the just the one thing that's like recurrent on here is just the amount of space all of the instrumentalists and then Fiona give to each other, like the way that they sort of trade, like where there's vocals, the vocals are the main focal point. And then, but then she also gives space for the instruments to kind of pop in in really interesting ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that guitar sound is a very like distinct Beatles-y sounding. That's the thing that, and then that, I guess there's a solo later on. Now, I am not as much of a, Beatles file as the two of you. Is this more of a George Harrison-y kind of guitar vibe or John? Let's, yeah, listen, let's listen to, to it. it first. It could be Paul too. I mean, he it could even be yeah. Paul. that fuzz that like reminds me of like uh the song Savoy Truffle I think there's like a yeah solo in that and that's a George song so I assume George played the solo um not necessarily the the notes like the the you know the melody yeah. but the sound the guitar sound reminds me of like that 68 period where they were doing yeah. Um, that kind of fuzz box stuff. The the sound of the fuzz also reminded me of Revolution. Oh yeah, uh, sure. which I don't know. I I obviously associate that song with John, but I don't know who played the fuzz guitar on that version of it. Mm. And it and it's a little reminiscent too of the Helter Skelter. So I mean. It just kind of is a very fuzzy, but clearly white album era. White album yeah. era, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because the later like '69, I feel like they were more doing the like Leslie speaker, like arpeggiated kind of like sparklier yeah. sounding. Not quite as fuzzy for sure. Yeah. I did write that uh, she says in this song, "Unpave my path." And I thought she said I peed my pants <laughs> and I had to check the lyrics. <laughs> nice. She also says, what is it, full as a tick or something? Ooh. Which is very, very um, illustrative. Because I'm full as a tick and scratching at the surface. Yeah. 
That song's funky as hell. <laughs> you know what mm. that means. Oh. <laughs> Funk analysis. It's been a really long time since we've done a funk analysis, you guys. Yes. This will be the first one of the... Uh, this must be the first funky song of the entire season. Yeah. Some some of us may have even hoped it would never come back. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a very funky tune. Uh, yeah. I felt like this one was sufficiently funky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of funk in this album in general. Um like funk funky in the sense of like um you know the 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 being in the pocket kind of feel. Yeah, I don't so much get like funk genre. genre. Yeah. Right. Cuz a lot of it's I mean, it also could be because so much of it is um down tempo uh-huh um he's sort of playing on the but but at the same time the like the quality of like playing on the back side of the beat i think that that comes up a lot especially like in 60s funk like the um yeah the james brown kind of yeah the drums where they're like really playing on the back of the back of the beat um i can get that vibe from this for sure yeah one of the things i noticed listening to this, this album is really lacking is just that slap at the bass. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding about the slap bass part, but just reminded of genre funk. It's funny because to me, I hear so much Beatles influence in it that it's hard for me to hear it as funky. I don't, I don't automatically hear Beatles. I hear Beatles-ish sounds. The Beatles never did anything this groovy that I can think of. Yeah, I think like the tone of some of the instruments are Beatlesy, but I the underlying basis of it doesn't feel Beatlesy to me. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I feel like a hip hop influence in the drums. So where are we landed on the funk scale with this bad boy? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was if you funk with me, I'll funk with you. Oh yeah, that's right. And if you funk with me, I'll funk you too. That's what it makes me feel. Yeah, that's spot on. Fiona's Fiona's like, if you funk with me, I'll funk with you. And I, I mean, the sentiment of that, I definitely feel in this song for sure. I heard lyrics do feel like I heard her like pugilistic, so it kind of makes mm. sense. I heard her refer to her songs as like pep talks. Like oftentimes they come off as like, like, is that another Matt term? Pugilistic? No. <laughs> I'm joking. Because <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's like, <laughs> it's not like, like a fighter. Fighting. It's like a fighter. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I guess that maybe is, um, I thought of that because maybe because of the song Shadow Boxer. I don't know. But no, because she she seems to have like she's like taking aim at people that are like giving that are very critical of her, you know, a lot of times. Yeah. And she I saw an interview where she described it as like pep talks to herself. She's like, I'm not like this confident. I'm not like trying to pick fights with people or, you know, whatever. She's like, it's more like if somebody's being 
you know, criticizing me or whatever, like I need to like give myself this pep talk. And then maybe after long after I've written the song, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that is kind of like inspiring confidence. But at the time she's writing it, it's more like building herself up. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, through, throughout this one and, and probably an extraordinary machine, like a feeling of resilience. And I didn't, I mean, I don't know any of the context around like, was she like, was title like heavily criticized or anything about her persona or, or like stage presence or like, did she get a lot of flack or criticism? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think title musically was criticized. I think she was like personally attacked. Oh, that sucks. Because do you remember, it's pretty famous when she, um, she won like an award, an MTV music award. And she was like, this whole world is bullshit. Like, and I think in, we've talked about this in other episodes. Like, I feel like at the today, if somebody made, gave that message, people would be way more understanding of it. The message it seemed to be to me was like, don't model your life around what you're seeing on like TV or whatever. Like this world is bullshit. And, but at the time it was like, she's a wacko lady. You know, it was just like people were really, um, or, or they thought she was like privileged and what's the word? Like, um, a brat or something. She was very young. And then there was also a lot of weird stuff around her appearance because she was like very sexualized in the criminal video and you know i i guess i don't know the full story but i know there were a lot of like magazine features on her that had like you know voyeuristic sexualized portrayals of her and that's not really like her persona and it certainly hasn't been since that first album yeah um and it seemed like maybe she was kind of like not totally in support of that persona and you know there was just a lot of like weird stuff with that so yeah she she got a lot of criticism i think between title and this album that's what i was trying to think of it was the bjork episode where we were talking about how like she did something that now seems very like cool and creative and kind of mundane like she wore a dress that was like a swan it's like not even that big of a deal but it was people responded with this huge thing flip out yeah and like and the album title which we should probably we should makes you know sense to call out here was um she wrote it she wrote the poem as a response to like there was a spin feature on her and then there was like an entire page of responses uh reader responses that were really really critical and like personally kind of attacking her and so she felt you know attacked by that and then wrote this sort of like the poem is like about I think you mentioned like I get back up again or whatever the chumba wumba song like somebody made that comparison so that's the backstory to it was she read this magazine article or comments about her and she wrote that poem as a response so this next one was the lead single, yeah? Fast as you can? That sounds right. I think so. I know it was a single. I don't know if it was the first, but I it, I know I watched some great... One of the great things about this podcast is I get to watch old videos on YouTube of people performing on Leno. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Well, here as fast as you can. Is that a djembe that I hear? <laughs> they wouldn't dare. She's ripping off ink through this so yeah. bad. She must have been a big fan of Fungus Among Us. You say you don't smoke easy, you won't go, but I know, and I pray that you will. Fast as you can, baby, run free yourself up as fast as you can. What a cool driving sound, just like, yeah, it's befitting yeah. of the title. Another interesting voc uh, vocal performance, I feel like it is spotlighting that her really distinct way of like, there's it's almost like, uh, you know, she's just fitting so many words in and there's so much going on rhythmically in addition to an interesting melody. Yeah, and I think that Bringing back, bringing it back to something we talked about before, I think that comes from writing words first. Uh, when you write the words first, and then you try to uh, write music to it, it, oftentimes it becomes more of an interesting, like, like in this song in particular. I'm thinking, unless I'm wrong, um, there are some things that she says in a really interesting way, or like enunciates a little differently to make it fit and it's like oh that's cool and it probably if she had written the music first i don't know that that would uh, be what ends up happening yeah it's really cool um i wrote down 125 um because they switch from this driving sound they go to the half half time yes right right shall we listen to that yeah I'm always a sucker yeah. for shifting into halftime. <laughs> that organ is is cool. Yeah. Man, what a what a change in the feel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It almost feels like gospel or something. Yeah, no, it, it definitely. I feel like with the organ or I think it is it doubled Chamberlain and organ cuz I hear some of that like warbly tape sound that you get with the Chamberlain. But yeah, definitely and the way she's singing it has a gospel kind of feel to it. And the drum sounds, I mean, just like the the detuned toms are so cool. It's not my favorite song on here. Uh, I I did see in my research people really praising this song, and I just feel a little bit like it's cool. It's not my favorite. I think maybe in '99 it was may have seemed cooler. Yeah. But now it's like I don't know that it's as cool as as people are making it out to be. It's because of the djembe. That's what. That's yeah. what's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I like it. It's not my favorite on here by any means. And and even of the three singles, I think maybe Limp, I, I'm, I prefer, and Paperback. I, I think I prefer both uh, other singles to this one, but I like it a lot. And I think this is another example where like it has a really cool and really long outro that's just yeah. super neat, super interesting. Also cool to hear that done. Like I think like it just always reminds me of like if you can pull it off really well, it's a it's a cool trick. I could see it as a lead single. Like it it seems like it has a lot of the distinct Fiona Apple and uh when the pawn elements, like distinct elements, but also maybe in a way that's more accessible than maybe some of the other songs or might be perceived as more accessible. I had a well, I had a few timestamps, which I don't know if we need to go to all of them, but later on, I have a very helpful note. Another cool thing comes in <laughs> at 408. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Got to make more detailed notes. Very helpful. <laughs> Ah, I love that little organ line. <laughs> I do like the kind of frenetic quality to it. Doing the harmonic minor. And are there like vibes or something like some kind of don't hear the vibes, but oh man, whatever is happening right now. <laughs> yeah. Just like it sounds almost like they recorded like organ and then played it back via tape and messed with it. Yeah. And like did some pitch shifting or played it or played it back faster or something so that it gets this like warbly and then when they layer it on top. So cool. So so cool. Yeah. I like it. I like that tune. Yeah, the outro yeah. is just really, really interesting. Uh I'm I'm not super familiar with the, I'm not well enough familiar with the album to say this for certain, but I'm pretty sure I don't like the back half of the album as much as the first. Like it starts to get less interesting to me well it's funny you say that because the note that i wrote for the next tune the way things are i wrote down that it's starting to sound a little repetitive i don't get that from this tune like up until yeah. fast as you can i think all sounds like everything has a, a distinct feel and then with the way things are the next track it starts to be it starts to kind of like okay here's the i'm starting to notice the formula but then i like wrote you know actually we could just get into it but i think yeah, um, let's play it i think overall i think i maybe tacit agree with you that I, like the standout tracks for me are the beginning but there's enough variety and difference that like to me it just it's still super cool yeah. I'm not I'm not sure I'll listen for that, but I I don't remember thinking that. Oh, I love that slide guitar. 
Yeah. That synthy feedback thing is very a radio heady sounding yeah. thing. The beat and some of the sonic quality reminds me of On the Bound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so it kind of starts to sound like a little bit of the beginning of the album. But there's enough difference. Like, yeah, that like kind of synth sound and the... Like the chorus yeah. on this one, I was like, oh, I really like the chorus. And some of the instrumental things going on in the beginning and throughout uh, keep it interesting. But I feel like this one might be one of the ones where I'm like, oh, what's happening in just the verses are very basic and maybe my one of my least favorites. I wrote down very similar thing. I wrote the chorus makes me not give a shit that it's repetitive sound-wise. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's such a cool chorus. And the guitar it sound, um, the guitar sound they get, it's like so cool. It reminds me of like some stuff that Wilco does. Should we listen to the chorus? Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So cool, that guitar. That makes a huge difference in the song. That is really cool. Uh, And just the way she does that, that line, like, you could get me to settle, and as soon as I settle, like, oh, just rhythmically, it's really cool. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I still like the, um, I still think, like, in the verse, um, she does some things, like, uh, that catch my attention in a way that it's not, like, just filler, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, she does stuff with, like, unexpected things with the melody that I um, I really like, so... Yeah, yeah. No, I I feel like, like I said, to me, it, it's like different enough that it's like at first, like once when the song starts, I'm like, oh, this sounds like something I heard earlier. But overall, as a song, I think it's it's a really good, really good tune, especially that guitar, like in the chorus, just, oh. Yeah, the guitar so is cool. Good. I was thinking in the first verse, like the part where she's like, the says like the words, I'm much better off. I'm not going to sing it. Mm. Um, but like that, like change, there's a slight change in like the melody and it's kind of a little, I don't know. I really like the way she does unexpected things with, with melody. So. And lyrically too. Yeah. Billy holiday. (laughs) I'd say so. (sighs) I wrote down wild synth sounding ending. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I really like that. 
That reminds me of something very specific. Oh, there's the synth sound. Oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah interesting. Kind of reminds me of like, I can't place it, but it reminds me of a very specific song. Is it like a Radiohead song or something? I get a little Could bit be. of a Radiohead vibe from that. Yeah, the intro, the very that's that like feedback sound or whatever that is in the beginning and end, very Radiohead to me. Well, get gone. Yeah, this one for me also feels like a really nice change of pace. Like really well placed as the ninth track. times do I have to say to get away get gone flip your shit past another lesson humble dwelling got your game made your shot and you got away with a lot but i'm not turned on oh, so cool yeah so put away that meet your selling because i do know what's good for me Ooh. and i've done what i could for you but you're not benefiting i love that and yet i'm sitting yeah This is this is this is one that I don't like the chorus. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh really? Sorry, Fiona. Oh, I was gonna say this is yeah. one of my favorites on the album. Like, possibly just because it feels like it's it's got a little bit of everything. It's got that like kind of quiet up front bit, then it kicks in with a cool groove. It's got some neat syncopation overall yeah i wrote down a great vocal performance and then there's some stuff later on um like the bridge part and then the last time through the chorus that i'd like to listen to little flourishes on the piano because I do know what's good for me and I've done what I could for you but you're not benefiting and yet I'm sitting singing again sing sing again how can I deal with this if you won't get with this I'm not gonna hear from this hey won't admit to it now then I'll figure out I love the part that we just heard up until the did you want to did 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 you don't like that that's the part that hits my ear like kind of stupid <laughs> the rest of the song is actually quite great but i remember i was listening to this last night and i remember being like oh mental note that part seems a little bit weak uh and that was what that was like the part 
that I didn't like off the album. <laughs> but a lot of cool stuff around that. Could we listen to the last time through the chorus? I love the grit. Tightens the energy up a little bit more. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. I love that. She just like, again, it's just like another like just ratcheting up the tightness. It's just like, oh, the tension gets more. It it could be the way I listen to this album. Like, because um, I listened to it the whole way through a few times while I was like doing things like um making food or whatever and then i sat down and listened to it to like take notes and i didn't get the whole way through it so there was no point where like and then i would go away and then i would be like oh i didn't get notes for you know the way things are and so i'd listen to it really actively and then like the last three songs let's say so it didn't hit my ear as repetitive at all but it might be that that aspect of it like the way i was listening to it um but i think the like the last three songs are are great yeah i agree with that i think my only comment and actually get gone i don't feel it doesn't feel repetitive to me i think like just the beginning of the way things are i was like oh i feel like i've sound i've heard this sound before but then the chorus happens and it makes me forget that and then get gone is like, oh man, what a ni- nice change of pace. And then for me, the only bit um, that like really I start to hear the formula coming through is on this last one uh, mm. on I Know. And I wrote down that it's a it's like a really nice come down, like especially after like the end of Get Gone, so like, oh, just so visceral. And then you get to this very last track and it's like, okay, whew, this like moment of fresh air. And I wrote down that like, okay, well now I'm starting to definitely hear the formula, but we're on the last track, so whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would just say too that on the last one on Get Gone, like I could see the, the Kisner you mentioned not liking the chorus that much. I could see how like it's pretty like simplistic, like the da 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 da. Like it's not like as interesting as some of her other melodies. I think it's like for me, like the energy is what carries it through. Like she just brings mm. brings yep. the performance but it's definitely not as like distinct and unique as a lot of her other melodies so i can see that definitely yeah that's that's true that's true it's a little more simplistic i kind of appreciate that about it though yeah. i know i know i know <laughs> i love this opening piano part and that upright bass. Yeah. So be it, I'm your crowbar. If that's what I am so far. Until you get 
baseline goes down chromatically so taking the idea that this is maybe a bit formulaic what's the analog to this song earlier in the album is it love ridden i don't know what i i don't know because it to me this song now that we're listening to it this time sonically it's very very different yeah like in the there's an up you know the double bass the piano is sort of recorded different. I think it's just sort of the this the way that like the vocals and the piano interplay. I'm like starting to hear like, oh, okay, here's like there's patterns around like uh-huh. the way that the piano and the vocal melody are playing with each other. And but again, I I wrote down that like I don't know the softness of the vocals is very different from the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are a couple other tracks where. We already mentioned like um, love ridden. It's like it starts really soft and open um, and closely mic'd. And so I don't know. There's I, I guess like to me there were like aspects of it where I was like oh, I'm starting to latch on to certain things. But at the same time, this track I just I love it so much. So I don't care. And I also don't know that I can like articulate so much exactly what it is. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a leading question a little bit for me because I don't see it either as having like an analog on the album. I think it it's kind of unique. Yeah, this one's very nice. I wonder if uh, <laughs> the fact that I tend to like the back half or right before the end less is just a uh, attention span thing. <laughs> I think could be. I mean, it's quite possible. My yeah. attention span is less way way worse mm-hmm. than it than it was back when like listening to a cd was like the only way to listen to music kind of unfortunate no i agree i think like overall i don't think there is a an analog in terms of the sonic quality i think it might just be like the sort of way the piano and the voice are constructed together a little bit in the um chord progressions too I think are just even though it's so down tempo, I feel like I kind of hear some similarities and or maybe it's just like at this point it's the tenth song and it's like okay well I kind of am getting the vibe and so I'm kind of ready for it to come down and feel uh, like it's kind of rounding out. So I don't know. To me, it's like I don't know exactly what it is. I think this is a really really pretty song. I don't know that it's has an analog, but something about it was like, okay, I f- I'm starting to feel like we're in a very distinct sonic space. And I'm, I think my ears are like, this is the perfect way to end it. Cause if it went on longer than this, I might get bored. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And, and just an, another comment on like the way we're not conditioned as much to listen to full albums anymore. 
not as much. Um, you kind of get a feel of somebody's style um, that after a while, when you get to the end of an album, it's like, uh, you know, that's a very them thing to do. I mean, that, that happens all the time. Um, not necessarily that, a bad thing, but. Is that true for the two of you? I Because I feel like for me, I, it's really hard for me not to want to listen. Like I listen to records. I mean, I don't always like put it on and like, I have to get through the whole thing, but I tend to, I tend to want to listen to records. I, I guess some, there are, there are a handful of artists where like they might not release very many records and they're just putting out singles and I'll want to listen to those, but I try it. I think, I don't know. There's something that I, there's something about an album that I really love. And so I, I try to, I try to like listen to records but I don't know. Is it do you do you both feel like you listen more to like individual tracks or for me, I I love albums as well. But like it I don't know if it's technology or aging, but I find that I have to and I don't think you're like this, Matt, but I have to like push myself to listen to new things and I have to push myself to listen to them fully, like a full album and actively listen to it um and i think that's more of an age thing i think you like so many people they just listen to what they liked when they were in their early 20s or whatever and i can kind of understand that like brain crystallization piece of it so i think it might be a little bit of that more than anything like i find sometimes i listen to i really find it rewarding to actively listen to music but i have to like almost like exercise in the way that it's like oh cool i'm so glad i did that that was great but my yeah. brain in the beginning will be like oh i should just like listen to a podcast because it's like hits a different part of your brain so i don't know i it's not it's not about not liking albums it's more i think about i'm i'm i have like an old person's brain let me answer your question and say that i feel like getting an ipad uh i'm sorry an ipod back in the day ruined how i listen to music because i just like to shuffle all my music um mm. and it's hard for me it's hard for me to get through a full album even of of a band i like because i just tend to skip around and often something will remind me of something else and i'll be like well i want to listen to this now and i switch over to something else and so yeah it is uh it's different than it used to be when i had like a tape in a cassette or something you know oh. uh it's way easier to to just hear a selection or or switch over to something else well okay overall what'd you think when the pond i'll go while i'm still good here i thought it was really really great um very very into it uh really impressed with fiona apple and her artistry and really impressed with the pr production uh i thought it was great really really good yeah, I thought it was great too. I think I'll probably um, put this in my rotation for a little while, uh, just beyond um, as a podcast assignment, just as listening to for fun. And it's, yeah, I've listened to, like I said, a few of her other albums and I didn't listen to this one. I think it's right up there with her other albums. 
really good. Yeah, for me, I hadn't listened to it probably in over a decade, I want to say. And so it was really nice to come back to. I think I, I, this is a through line for me. I feel like for certain things that I was really, really into, I get a little nervous to come back to it because I'm like, well, what if it's not as good as I remember it? But yeah, this one, I, I feel like I couldn't really find much of a fault in it at all. I mean, even just like the ordering of the tracks and the production and just the songwriting all just was so good. Yeah, I feel like it was really cool the amount of like space it created for just what sounded like play. Um, that was really cool. And it just has such a full, rich sound. And overall, I just like, I, I felt like listening to it, I was just like coming back to it almost with fresh ears and hearing all the like new things that like maybe I didn't hear last time I listened to it because it's been so long. And so, yeah, I, I really liked it. I think like partly because like we mentioned earlier, um, the sort of John Bryan sound has become very ubiquitous in certain ways. I, again, I was a little bit like, well, I wonder if it'll just sound dated or sound uh, derivative, but it it doesn't. And yeah, really enjoyed it. I, I actually don't know what to say about this because this might be end of December. This might be early January by the time this comes out. Um, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, exactly. All right, very cool. All right, well, take it easy, guys. Stay frosty. Stay frosty. Bye. Good evening. <laughs>